0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to My Millennial Money, just a bit of a summer series little chat for you today. I recorded this episode a short time ago with Tash. She's out of Perth and I was waiting for the right time to put this episode up and I thought, You know, the end of the year in the holiday season, a lot of us are chilling. A lot of us are reimagining our year. And I want you to listen to Tasha's story here and just be really encouraged with what's possible when you get intentional, when you start investing, when you, you know, work your guts off, when you also have fun, like just living life to the full. And I just want to thank Tash for joining us. Now, if you are a curious little SOB and you want to know what I do with my own money, there's a link in the show notes. I'm kind of running a business, not a podcast. And there's a way to support our podcast. And that is to download Glenn's personal financial plan. And that's just a document. There'll be a link in the show notes. And you can jump in, download a document that just shows you everything I do with my own money. Uh, my estate plan, my financial foundations, where I invest my money, how I invest my money. I don't want you to blatantly copy me, but I just want you to see how I do things. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. It will really encourage you uh, on your money quest. So, thank you so much, Tash, and thank you for supporting the podcast by uh, purchasing our stuff. We, uh, We really can't do it without you, and I hope we add value always. All right. Bye. G'day, Tash. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. So excited to be here.
2: Yeah, same. So, we're going to spend the next little while just talking about your story, your money. Uh, We'll have a bit of chat. We've got some questions that some people have sent through. Uh, What do you do with yourself?
1: Um, Well, I live in Perth, like you said. I work as a support worker and I'm studying occupational therapy.
2: So good. Now, support worker, is that like a disability support type work?
1: Yeah. So, I work with people with autism and I work in a group home at the moment.
2: Wow. And the occupational therapy, uh, is that full-time or part-time, I presume?
1: No, very part-time. I'm taking like seven years to do a four-year degree. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
2: Oh, we can get into uh, the rationale behind that because as we'll find in this episode, uh, you're absolutely slaughtering it when it comes to money. Uh, What was money like for you growing up? Like, What was it like in the family situation?
1: It was super chilled. So, my parents are very open and they always discuss things. So, even as like a kid, my parents were always like, oh, this is how much we earn. This is what our mortgage is. This is how much things cost. So, my whole childhood, like things were very openly discussed. And I always knew like if my parents would be like, oh, we're saving for this or we have to pay our mortgage first and then we can go on a holiday. Um, But it was very like positive as well. Like I always knew what was happening, which was really nice.
2: So, you from, I guess, a young age really learned from your parents that In order to have these experiences, you've got to go to work, earn money, save money and then spend. Is that a fair statement?
1: Oh, definitely. Like when we were going on holidays, my parents would sit down at the table and like budget the holiday with us. Like even when I was like nine or 10, we'd all sit down together um, and they would be like, cool, this is how how much one holiday costs and this is how much the other holiday costs. And like, this is how much we save to get there. Um, And then for stuff like they never let me have foxtail when I was a kid and I was always really upset because my friends had it. But they were like, oh, would you want Foxtel all year or do you want to go on a holiday at the end of the year? And they kind of always openly talked about that with us.
2: Wow. So, you've really learned that trade-offs and delaying pleasure.
1: Yeah. And like if you want something, you have to save for it. And if you get one thing, then you can't have something else.
2: See, I thought you can just go get a credit card and buy it today.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I love a 20% interest rate. It's great. So
2: good. Now, what were your uh, parents' occupations or what are they doing?
1: Um, So, my dad works in Gold mines. He's a chemical engineer. Um, So, when I was a kid, we moved around with him. Like, we lived in Ghana, in Papua New Guinea and in Thailand for a little bit. Um, And then we moved back to Perth for high school, yeah. Um, So, my mom didn't work when I was a kid, but now she works as a property manager.
2: I'm so jealous of, like, the experiences that, you know, people like you have had growing up, like, moving around the world and doing all that wild stuff because... I'm as vanilla as they come when it comes to life experiences, I tell you. It's...
1: Yeah, it was such a cool childhood. Like, I didn't realise, like, at the time I was like, oh, this is normal. Like, I learned to water ski when I was seven. Um, my parents had a jet ski when we lived on the mine site in Papua New Guinea. Like, it was just so normalised and everyone had boats and it was so much fun. And then I moved back to Australia and I was just, like, so confused. And I was like, what do you mean? You've lived here your whole life. Like, this mm. isn't normal. Yeah, yeah.
2: Wow. And so, you are living at home still?
1: No, I live in my apartment. I bought an apartment at the start of the year.
2: That's right. I thought for some reason you were rent vesting or rent boarding, whatever they call it. So,
1: no, um, you have to live in it for six months for the first home buyers. So, I'm living in it at the moment.
2: Do you reckon you'll go back home or uh, what's your plans there with the apartment?
1: Um, well, I have to do 16 weeks of prac next year to finish my degree. So, I'm going to rent out my apartment and hopefully get prac in like Broome or somewhere cool. Um, so, I'll probably just rent wow. while I'm doing prac and then rent my apartment out. Yeah.
2: That's amazing. And I want to get back to how you save for the deposit and all that stuff. But just kind of going back to the uh, the goal there that growing up, uh, open relationship with your parents around money. And I, I'd imagine other things as well. They sound like they're uh, they're good people. Uh what was the family's relationship with consumer debt?
1: My parents never, so they had credit cards, but they used them like just for rewards points and paid them off straight away. Um, but they didn't have like car loans, like everything was bought outright. They yeah. only really had debt for mortgages, but yeah. like they hadn't, yeah, so they always talked about that and like how much the interest rate was and like changing and refinancing and stuff. That was all open conversation. But mm. yeah, all their cars they bought outright. Um, credit cards were paid off instantly like personal loans weren't a thing I couldn't believe they were a thing when I learned about them
2: yeah it's so crazy and what um, I guess now fast forward like would you say you're a spender or saver by nature
1: definitely a saver I go through like like I don't know change my mind lots like if I'm spending then I'll spend a lot of money at once like I find it hard to have a nice balance either I'm like really frugal and I save really hard or I have a weekend where I just like spend heaps of money because, like, once I buy one thing, then I'm like,
2: oh, I might as well buy the next thing too. Yeah. Um, but definitely
1: more of a saver. What's your Instagram? Oh, my Instagram's called Tash Invest.
2: So, everyone, open Instagram while you're listening if you're not driving or whatever. And just have a look because you've got some serious money behind you for your age. Um, and you are a saver. Have sometimes the pursuit of amassing wealth for you in the short time that you've been in the workforce and out of school or even, you know, before you were working, uh, has it been hard to actually let go and enjoy money? Because you said when you do splurge, the pendulum does swing. uh, But as a general rule, have you struggled to enjoy some of your money?
1: I've definitely gotten a bit better. When I was younger, I used to find it really hard. And like all my friends would be like, why are you not spending money? And like my mom especially would always be like, no, you should enjoy yourself. Um, I think I'm a bit better now. Like I love spending money on travel and experiences, but I'm still not very good at buying things, which I think is a great thing anyway. Like I don't mind like having to like think about things really hard before I buy them. Um, but definitely when I was younger, like I used to be so frugal when I was like 18, 19, and everyone would always ask me why. Um, But I definitely paid off like sticking to it because it just didn't feel right spending money on things that I didn't care about. Like it would just like physically hurt me when like, especially when you go out when you're first 18 and everyone's buying like $12 drinks at the bar and I would be like, no, sorry, I don't do that. And like having to rationalize that with people your age as well, it just like doesn't make sense back then. But now I'm kind of like, cool, I'm glad I was like that Um, because like I set myself up pretty well now.
2: Yeah. So, are you? do you think it's a fair statement to say like you really did those quote unquote hard years financially? Uh, quite early coming out of school and into your early 20s and you're still early 20s and now you can kind of let the foot off the pedal a little bit?
1: Oh, definitely. Like when I was, yeah, when I was first 18, I didn't spend like anything. I saved all of my money and when I went away, I had the most budget trips ever and now I'm a bit better at spending money and I'll like pay for like the nicer things where I don't have to think about it. Like I just bought a wakeboard the other day and that was $700 and I was like, cool, I want it, I'm going to buy it which is like super privileged, but it's really nice that I've got to that position where I can pay my mortgage, like invest and still buy things that I want to buy as well. Yeah. And Good. I think
2: it is it is all possible uh, because it then comes down to being intentional with your money. And correct me if I'm wrong, but just by hearing you, you didn't wake up one morning and, and go and trip over a wakeboard and, and spend $700 like I would. You've probably researched it, thought about it, and, but were very intentional. Is that a fair statement?
1: Oh, yeah. I was like renting because I think I used to wake park that's here a lot recently and I rented them for like two months and then I was like, no, I want a wakeboard. And then it went on sale and I was like, yes, this is great. So, I bought it. Um, But I definitely like had it in my mind for a few months beforehand. That's something I wanted to do.
2: And this is why like I'm learning so much from doing this podcast myself because I'm by nature, I'm a spender. By nature, I've got no self-control. By nature, I'm horrendous. Uh, I'm only now learning that... I need to be more considered with my money. And yes, you're probably more Gen Z than millennial, but we can all learn something from everybody, I believe. So, yeah, definitely. Now, do you have any debt in your life other than the mortgage?
1: I still have a hex debt. So I've got like 30K on my hex debt and then my mortgage.
2: And with the hex debt, is that just part of your strategy just to tick along in the background and not worry about it, quote unquote? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm definitely not going to like actively pay it off. But I think my last tax return, I had to pay like six grand off of it, like for the compulsory repayments. Yeah, totally. Um, But yeah.
2: And how much did you earn, I guess, last financial year or this calendar year ish?
1: Yeah, last financial year I made 96,000, which is pretty cool. Super exciting.
2: That's amazing. Now, what that's a lot of bloody money for not full time hours, is that correct? No,
1: so I work always work full-time hours. Like ever since I finished school, I've always had multiple oh, okay. jobs so, to work full time hours. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. See, so this is amazing. Like as a a support worker, you're technically not qualified. Is that a fair no, statement? Definitely. Yeah, but not you've, qualified. You've put in the grind and you've got a cracking salary. Now is that salary high because there's um, a shortage of people to do that role in Perth or can I go and be a support worker down the road here and get that money?
1: Um, no. So, it's just because I work a lot. Like if you work a normal support worker job and you work nine till four, you won't earn a lot of money. But I've kind of like manipulated it where I have multiple jobs and you can do sleep shifts as a support worker. So, I'll often do sleep shifts, get paid for sleeping overnight and then work a day job too. So, I've definitely worked more than like the normal person would and like at the moment I have a full-time job but then I also work overtime and I also have like private work on the side as well um so it's definitely not like easy to just go and get a job and earn that money but you definitely can if you like apply for a few jobs and you work towards it
2: and has that been a detriment to your social life
1: no oh No, No. depends how you see it. Like sometimes, yes, but then like I like to do a lot. Like I don't really have much free time. So whenever I'm not at work, I am socializing and I will see multiple friends in the same day. But like doing the sleep shifts, like even just like this week, I worked Sunday to Wednesday, um, which was like 85 hours because I just worked straight pretty much. And then, yeah, but now I have a week off. Like I'm going away on Sunday and then I've got a whole week off paid as well. So it's just kind of like you work in one go and then you have more days off instead of working every single day like most people do.
2: Yes, yes, yes. This is so encouraging because if we just pause and have a bit of a, a, a looking at your situation, you're just so intentional with your time and you really cuz I believe, you know, if you just put the hustle in until you like you're 25 and get out of uni, you'll have some big rocks sorted in your life. So you'll have a cracking investment account, you've got your apartment that you're paying down. Are you paying principal and interest on that or interest only?
1: Yeah, principal and interest because I'm
2: living in it as well. Yeah, Yeah. great, great. And I think once you get those big rocks in your life at an early age, the value just compounds over like five or ten years.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, my whole mindset when I look at buying something, I'm like, why would I buy like a new car now if I could have my investments in place and then have my investments pay for the new car in the future? Like that's kind of how I think of things. It's like, why pay a $1,000 now for something if my $1,000 can be worth so much more in five years?
2: But I want it right now, damn it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But No, it's not the smart thing to do. I know. I would love a four-wheel drive and I would love a jet ski, but like they're not smart things to buy right now. If I wait, I can have an investment portfolio and a jet ski instead of just the jet ski with
2: my 20% interest on my credit card. Oh, I just... Uh, see, yeah, I'm learning so much. Now, what type of car do you have at the moment?
1: I have a Mazda 2. Okay. So, a they're very, worth like yeah.
2: 10 grand, 15? I don't even oh, know. Oh, no. Less
1: old, Maybe like seven or eight at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I've had it since I was... I bought it when I was 17, 18. I've had it since
2: then. Yeah. yeah. Great. And you obviously own that.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, lots going on. So, cracking income. So, I guess... For those who are kind of under 25 and still working out what they want to do, if you're intentional and I'll, I've will said it before and I'll say it again, if you don't get pregnant, don't get someone else pregnant, don't get thrown in jail or don't get addicted to drugs, you can kind of do university in the background while you grind it away if you want.
1: For sure. Definitely.
2: And I think it's just about being dialed in and intentional. And it just screams volumes uh, when speaking with you. And it's just, I think you should be proud of what you've done. Now, what's your view on charitable giving?
1: I find it so, like, I think it's a really good idea, but I find it so hard to like pick one cause and invest in one cause. Um, Like, I am such an empathetic person and I see so many different causes everywhere. And I'm like, cool, I want to give $10 to everyone. So, I'm kind of in the process of like finding one charity that I really want to support to give
2: to them. Did you listen to the episode I did with Peter Singer?
1: No, not
2: yet. Oh, okay. You've got to do that. I'm going to text you the the episode after. And he's got a book called The Life You Can Save. Um, And it's about effective altruism, which means basically, yes, you can give $25 to the Guide Dogs Association and that's amazing cuz it will go towards training one dog that costs 25 grand um to help one person who's vision impaired but if you took that $25 and gave it to the against malaria foundation you could probably stop 10 people from becoming blind
1: yeah it's amazing
2: so i i actually give um he's got a website called thelifeyoucansave.org.au and they screen the top charities in a, um, around the world, and if you can't choose, I just give into their general pool, and they spread it across all of them.
1: Oh, that's so cool! I definitely have to have
2: a look. Yeah, so I, I will send you that episode because this is the thing where I think with our uh, money, we just need that balance of give, save, spend. Uh, because yeah. the the giving more, I think, affects us because it actually keeps our personality in check, it keeps our personality and our ego humble that we're actually not just doing everything for us. Um, Yeah. So, I
1: think definitely like recognizing that like I am in a super privileged position to have lived at home like all of this time and to like, you know, just live for free with my parents when I was younger and like there are so many people who aren't like this privileged and don't live in like Australia and they need, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, what's your current financial goal now?
1: Um, Well, right now, I want to get a margin loan. So, I'm saving for a deposit with that. Yeah, I'm super stoked. But yeah, so I'm just saving at the moment. But other than that, I just want to like, I'd love a million dollar share portfolio. So, I can kind of be financially independent and live off that. Yeah, wow. So, slowly working my way towards that. So,
2: talk to us about, um, for those who aren't aware, uh, talk to us about the margin loan and what you're doing there and how you're going about it.
1: Um, So, the margin loan lets you borrow money to invest, kind of like buying out like an investment property, I guess, but you only pay the interest off instead of paying the principal and the interest. And the idea behind the margin loan is that I think the interest rate's like 3 point something with like one of the banks at the moment, but investments should make around 7% a year. So you borrow money and pay 3% interest, but then you should make 7% interest on the investment. So you're making 4% on money that's not yours, which is amazing.
2: Yeah, that's... um... That's interesting. See, I I don't have the stomach to uh, gear into shares myself.
1: I think it's so cool. And also, like, the interest is a tax deduction as well. So, that's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah. So, in terms of um, a deposit for that, like, how much are you aiming to borrow? 100 grand?
1: No, definitely not. We're going to start off small. So, I think the minimum you can borrow is 20 grand. Right. um, With the bank I want to go for. So, but I don't want to keep my LVR, like the lending ratio, really low as well. So, I hopefully won't get a margin call, so I think I'm saving about ten grand, and then I'm going to take money out of raise, yep. and then transfer over my current portfolio as well. Yeah. Um, but definitely, we be borrowing a hundred grand, and then just like add into it a little bit by little bit.
2: But and this is the whole logic behind it. Why wouldn't you borrow a hundred grand?
1: Because I don't want my lending ratio to be too high. Because if that triggers a margin call as soon as there's another crash, I don't like have. That much spare cash sitting mm. around. Like I don't like cash sitting around, so I'd mm. love to keep it a bit safer. Yeah. Um, instead of risking a margin call, so like early on.
2: Yeah, and I think this is the the lesson in uh, borrowing money. Uh, risk comes into it, and if you actually, um, you know, the actuaries can work this out, but they actually can make it the risk as a percentage return. So it's actually a lesser return because of the risk you're taking. If that makes sense
1: yeah what's like the thing where you lose money it takes that like, you have to make heaps more money to get your money back to where it started I can't remember exactly what the numbers were but like magnifying the losses is a huge risk as well
2: yeah uh, so given that you want to borrow to invest what will you be investing in
1: um, lots of index funds, I guess. So, the usual like S&P 500, um, I'll probably have like an Australian one. I think I want to buy the, like the M-I-C-H, the, is it Magellan one as well, the property I, fund? Yep. Yeah.
2: See, I thought, and who's helping you set that up?
1: Um, I'm seeing a financial advisor, so they're helping me set it up.
2: And who's that?
1: Everest Private Wealth, they're really cool.
2: Yeah, so, Everest Private Wealth, um, if you're in Perth or Western Australia, Alex and the team, they're on my approved uh, advisor list. So, I've screened them and they're legit. In terms they're really of, lovely
1: as well. Yeah. yeah I saw. A, I tried to, I went to a few initial meetings and so many financial advisors were kind of just like, oh, give us your money and we'll invest it. But Alex and Scott were kind of the only ones that properly explained what they were going to do. Um, and I'm not really like keen on just giving people my money. And like, I can understand stuff as well. So, it was nice for them to actually sit down and explain everything. So, they're yeah. super lovely.
2: Yeah. And like, I personally don't borrow uh, to invest in equities and I don't do that. But I'm not really prescriptive like everybody. I just, on my advisor panel, I more vet them from they're not wild, they're not going to screw you and they're legitimate people. Uh, So, I think you're in good hands there uh, in any case. So, if you are in Perth um, and you want to speak to an advisor, you can certainly reach out to Everest Wealth and tell them that I sent you. So, at least they've got some accountability. Lol. (sighs) Well- We're going to take a quick break and then I'll come back and I'll ask Tash about her specific investment accounts and we'll dig a bit deeper into her money situation. So, we'll be right back. All right, Tash, I've got your Instagram open. So, you do diagrams of how much you're spending. Um, So, you're saving at the moment 47.7% of your net take-home salary. Uh, Your mortgage is 12.6%, which is principal and interest shares is 6.6, which is almost kind of savings in itself. So, you're saving well over 50% of your income.
1: Yeah, 54.3.
2: Well, there you go. How do you practically manage your money in terms of bank account structure and setup when you get paid each week or fortnight?
1: Yeah, so I get paid each fortnight into one account and then I transfer some into a different bank for my investments and then I transfer some because I have a credit card as well. So, I'll transfer some to my credit card and then I transfer another amount to my mortgage and then whatever's kind of left over in the first account is what I can spend. And then at the end of the month, if I've still got money left over, I'll just invest it straight away.
2: Wow. And what do you use the credit card for?
1: Um, I used to get free flights, but they just stopped because of COVID. Um, Mm. I just like all the rewards, like the rewards points. I love the lounge passes and the free travel insurance, just all the perks.
2: But I mean, in terms of practical spending, when do you slap that card around?
1: Um, Anything that's like like pretty much everything. I use it for absolutely everything.
2: Right, Um, right. Yeah,
1: and then just transfer and pay it off straight away.
2: Yeah. So, you're, I guess, probably the 5% who do not abuse credit cards. Uh, because you're so dialed in, uh, where I publicly don't recommend them at all. And I would even not recommend you use it because at some point, the chances of getting caught out will happen. Uh, But all that to say, uh, this is why I like the My Millennial Money community because we've all got our different ways of managing money. And I think if you – and this is funny, Tash, you know, like, I would say, like, if My Millennial Money was a karate class, okay – On the first lesson of people with um, the karate class, I'm not getting out the the bricks for all the new students to whack their hand on, all right? But because you've been so dialed in with karate yourself, you're over in the other corner smashing bricks. So, if you're – this is a bad analogy, but if you're new to money, if you're new (laughs) to getting stuff sorted out, don't bloody rock up to the first lesson and go, give me the bricks because something's going to break. Don't get a
1: credit card and a margin loan straight away. Definitely
2: not. Yes. Yeah, so, I guess that's all <laughs> I'm trying to say where yes, I'm over there in the brick corner, but I'm, uh, I still can't control myself with uh, smashing bricks. So, that's why I don't do that. Now, you've also got your investment platforms. You've got ANZ. What's that?
1: That was just the first shares I ever bought and I haven't transferred them out yet. So, when I was 18, I bought like the S&P 500 index and then I just let it sit there forever. And I haven't figured out how to transfer it out yet.
2: Oh, so that's on E-Trade. Yes,
1: Yes, yeah. The share investing now, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, why wouldn't you... And then you got Ray's of six grand and spaceship. So, and then you've got stake and then you've got Comsec Pocket and then you've got Comsec.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, like as I... I didn't like learn about everything all in one go. Like as I learned about things, I opened up accounts and bought different things and then I found out better ways to invest. But there's no point like selling ETFs that I bought when I was 18 just to buy something similar. Like I might as well just leave them. Yeah, totally. Um, And like I like trying everything out as well.
2: Yeah. And and I think that's a good thing. Like it's like when I bought all the camera gear in the studio, like the first camera I bought was just a, a DSLR, really basic, you know, But now, fast forward, we've got stuff that's on the set of Game of Thrones that they shot Game of Thrones with. So, like absolute pro stuff. And it's just that journey that you need to just get in your foot in the water, have a play around. And then what you do, once you learn how to use the basic stuff really well, it's a natural progression that you want something more advanced. And
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: And what are you actively putting new money into the market in at the moment?
1: Just buying lots of basic like index funds and ETFs, I guess. Like I love NDQ at the moment, like the tech one, or I'll just buy like IOS or IVV. I also love um, Vanguard's VDHG as well. That one's really good. And
2: and through um, the ComSec?
1: Yeah, through ComSec at the moment.
2: Yeah. So, you're not putting any new money into Pocket, ANZ or Raise or Spaceship
1: or Um, Stake? I use Pocket. So, Pocket has NDQ on it. So, if it's NDQ, I'll just buy it there um, because it's under the $2 brokerage. I don't put any money into raise at the moment, but I do $100 a week into Spaceship because the returns on that have been huge, mm. like 50% year-to-date, like insane. Um, and then that kind of gives me exposure to all the funny stocks, like not funny, but like Afterpay and Tesla because yeah. I don't buy them in an index. Yeah.
2: Yeah, wild. wild. And then Stake,
1: I bought Berkshire Hathaway. That's how you say it, right? That's yes. where I buy that. Yeah, because you can't buy that on Comsec without yeah. paying heaps of fees. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, do you think as... You, I guess, put more money in or you start to consolidate and not put any new money into the ancillary stuff?
1: Yeah. So, I don't really need to put any more money into raise because that's just index funds. So, I'm going to stop that and eventually transfer that out for my margin loan. Um, Spaceship, I'm going to keep doing for a while until it stops having such hectic returns. But yeah, I'll just kind of focus on just buying ETFs and ComSec, I think, from now on. And then once I have the margin loan, I'll have to buy them through
2: the bank that I'm going with as well.
1: Yeah,
2: totally. Um, Yeah. Totally. You have got so much going on, but it's good. Now, a couple of questions have come in on Instagram because I shared it that I was interviewing you. Uh, There's a question here, is $20 to $25 a week a good amount to start investing in Spaceship? So, with your experience using Spaceship... um, Do you think you could put just $25 a week into that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, you can put as little as you want into Spaceship. That's, like, the beauty of it. And raise as well. Like, both of them, you can put $5 in and that's it. It's definitely, like, a good way to start. And then you can get used to the ups and downs of the markets without risking heaps of money. Because I feel like the hardest thing about investing is putting money in and then watching it go down. So, it's good to practice with small amounts of money.
2: Yeah, totally. Someone else asks, uh, Yoshki asks, what advice would you give someone around 22 starting to save slash invest? Uh, she has no idea about stocks.
1: About saving or investing, they're
2: uh, two both. different
1: things. Yeah, both. For saving, you need goals. I hate when people tell me they just want to save money and then it's like, cool, but like how much do you want to save for what and like over how long? So, you definitely need to have smart goals. Um, really specific ones and then realize if your goal is realistic, like there's no use saying I'm going to save $10,000, but you don't have the salary to save $10,000. And then also track your spending. Like you can't save if you don't know where your money's going as well. Mm. Um, I love like I track all my spending as well. If you like physically have to write down or put into a spreadsheet, every single thing that you buy, it hurts a bit more when you're buying a coffee every day or Mm. you like become a lot more mindful over what you're doing. So yeah, definitely track your spending and then set really realistic goals that you know that you can achieve and like work backwards as well. If you want to save $10,000, how much is that a week? And can you actually realistically save it?
2: Yeah, wow. Emily Chance says, by using so many platforms, does that involve more fees?
1: Depends. So Spaceship is free up to 5000 Raise is $2.50 a month. Yeah, But I don't mind paying that because that's a tax deduction. And then the other platforms are all just brokerage. So, you just pay as you buy shares and then there's no fee to keep them.
2: Yeah. There was a question here from Glenn Cutler. How much money does your accountant charge to do your tax with six different share portfolios?
1: Um, he only charged me $200 the last financial
2: year. Wow, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, and I've got an ABN as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you, if you need an account and get one in Perth. Um, yeah, he's great. This is maybe an inside joke. Uh, Michelle Sherwood says... Uh, you should, she's my friend. <laughs> you should ask Tash when she plans on buying her jet ski that so that I can use it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe. <laughs> this summer would be great. No, come yeah. back in a few years.
2: Yeah, love it. Um yeah, I don't know. I th- I think my unsolicited advice to you would probably be not worth saying because you're so switched on anyway. So Say it anyway. What
1: is it? Well,
2: that? I, I just think you've come out of the gate. You're so energetic. You've got everything happening. I would just s- try and consolidate to have less crap going on.
1: I think that's what's going to happen when I... Like, have the investment loan because yeah. I'm going to sell raise because I'm going to use that money. I'm not going to sell, like, any of the ComSec ones because, like, what's the point of selling them and paying capital gains on them? ANZ will try and move over when I figure out how to do that or maybe I'll make Everest do that.
2: Yeah, I think what you can do, um, if you've got a holder identification number, you can actually tell um, ANZ, uh, you can tell the share registry that you've got a different, Chess sponsor now and tell it to point over to ComSec, and you should be able to transfer it over.
1: Yeah, I think that's what'll happen because I'm going to transfer them to Westpac for yes. the margin loan to be the securities. Yeah, yeah. so that'll consolidate it a bit. But yeah. like Raisin Spaceships, fun. I kind of like having those as well, and I don't really mind.
2: Yeah, I, and, and that's fine because it's just something that you're engaged in, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and
1: like with Raise, you can invest $10 a day. And like you don't notice $10, well, I don't notice $10 a day for my bank account. So, I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah. No, I think you're uh, absolutely killing it. So, Tash, lots going on. Is there anything you guess you want to say? Do you have any big money mistakes that you regret?
1: Oh, money mistakes. I bought an inverse leveraged ETF during covid and lost like 66% of my eight grand. So, don't do that. Don't buy inverse ETFs.
2: So, for those who aren't aware, what's an inverse ETF?
1: Um, So, it's kind of like shorting the market. It like you make money when the market goes down. So, I bought it in COVID thinking the market would go down, but it actually started recovering. But because it was leveraged, every time the market increased, I lost double my money.
2: Yeah. So, it was internally geared and had options contracts inside the fund.
1: Yeah. That so, that sounds, was my one attempt yeah, at wow. making money really quick. So, don't do that. Just yeah. buy index funds and hold them forever.
2: Yeah. And I think maybe as well, I, I don't know, um, it might be something to talk the, to the advisor with, maybe for you because you're so, so dialed in with your money, maybe you need to chat to your accountant about setting up a trust that holds all your investments?
1: Yeah, I'll just have to ask more about it. I don't know a lot.
2: Only because... So, we did an episode on trusts, which you could probably... um, I can say that as well. But effectively, it's basically a a trust slash company that's set up that just holds your investments. And there can be tax advantages uh, for, you know, when you, you know, settle down with a partner, uh, you can distribute money within the family unit and oh, save tax. Yeah, so it's probably, that's probably my only slight comment if I'm, because you're, you're really pumping, you know, up to 30, 50 grand a year or whatever you are pumping into your investments. Maybe it is worth asking the accountant about the trust. And then but what you can do as well, uh, because you've got an ABN and you contract, you could just probably contract through that trust as well and have the trust own the um, ComSec platform.
1: Yeah, interesting.
2: So, the trust will then be your investment vehicle for life. So, I've got a discretionary family trust. Uh, My self-wealth account is owned by the family trust. I don't hold any investments in my own name and they're in there and not going anywhere forevermore. So, it's just the only thing I'm thinking, if you do press reset and start to wind down all your options to put into the trust, then you won't ever have to move them ever again because I'd rather you have a slight tax event slash tax adjustment now rather than when it's too late because when you're an OT, what if you open your own clinic for estate planning and asset protection purposes? You definitely want investments not in your own name because if someone okay, sues yeah. you, um, you don't own those investments.
1: Ah, oh, that's a fun perk.
2: So, yeah. So, that's kind of The only kind of unsolicited advice I would have would be to maybe look at cleaning up and consolidating and then chatting with your accountant and maybe transferring your contracting business ABN into the discretionary family trust because you just set up the ABN, uh, you can register for GST and then that trust can actually hold assets as well.
1: Oh, awesome. I'll definitely just look
2: into it. Yeah, that's what, that's probably the only thing I would say and then it's like you don't have to ever sell ever again because the ownership structure is nailed for the long term.
1: Yeah, very cool.
2: Mm, mm. And have you set up your uh, will and power of attorney? Not yet, but
1: I've been doing it with uh, financial advisors.
2: Yeah, sweet. So, that's just another housekeeping thing and uh, your income insurances?
1: Yeah, they're being set up at the moment as well. Perfect.
2: So, all your foundations are done, uh, basically.
1: Yeah.
2: Onwards and upwards. Hey, Tash, thanks so much for having a chat. You can find Tash on Instagram at TashInvests and be encouraged. Give her a follow, give her a like, give her a whatever. And we might catch up in a year and you can tell us whether uh, the margin loan was a mistake or a blessing. Don't Whether I have a jet ski
1: yet. Yes.
2: (laughs) I love jet skis. Love them. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. Sweet. All right. I'll see you soon.
1: Thanks so much.